welcome to the Millennial Falcon, a pop culture podcast by three geeky millennials. I'm Anya Crittenden, a writer at Gay Star News, and I am joined by my two co-hosts. I'm Hwai Chen Bui, a writer for Slash Film and a pop culture journalist in New York. And I'm Willoughby Dobbs, a filmmaker in the D.C. area. So today we're going to be talking about uh, something that uh, was very close to our childhoods. But before we dive into it, we have a word from our sponsors. The Millennial Falcon is brought to you by the House of Mouse. Mickey signs our paychecks. All right, if that ad was anything to go by, we're talking about Disney today. Think of this as a sort of sequel to our episode, I think, two years ago, in which we, we so. argued that Disney is not ruining our childhoods. Well, maybe it is. Um. <laughs> what, we, what we presuppose today is, what if they are? I don't think they're ruining our childhood so much as I think they are not, um, they are not living up, they're not like... Like, how we held them. We're not as, mad, so, we're just disappointed. Yes. Yes. We're just disappointed. So maybe they're not ruining our childhoods, but they're definitely ruining our future. <laughs> not <laughs> our future. They're ruining, our, so. they're, they're ruining child, where our money goes. My Disney childhood is still very good. I look back on it with very fond memories. Like, I'm glad I grew up in the Renaissance era. Like, Me too. They're so great. But now I'm a little like, hey, guys, what about the future generations? What about new content well speaking of new content this um episode is kind of inspired by the news that disney is making a hunchback of notre dame live action film partially based off of their beloved um 90s uh, animated film the hunchback of notre dame and also based off of victor hugo's novel of the same name and um we have a few thoughts about this first that it is seemingly, um, you know, it's part of the trend of Disney remaking their beloved animated properties into live action movies that are kind of shot for shot what they've done before, but are any needless, um, anyways, they are, they end up being huge uh, money rakers. And, um, they end up doing something that's a little bit uh, neutered and not quite taking the strides and uh, risks that they could be taking as a multi billion dollar company that basically owns us and the entire world uh we this is kind of based off of the fact that josh gad is reportedly being uh, eyed for the lead role as quasimodo and i believe um, it's a gadimodo now gadimodo and uh we just have reservations after the last few movies have um kind of soured a bit in our um in our memories and our that being said if they could hire Willoughby as the casting director for this movie, for like the remainder of this movie, I think that we could be on a good path because Willoughby has some great casting ideas. So let me just tell you, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to throw some accolades on you, Willoughby. Um, he has posited Billy Magnuson as Phoebus and David Diggs as Cloppin. And I'm like, this is the movie I want. And now if I don't get it, <laughs> now you're going to be really mad. Because, I mean, Billy Magnuson was in, uh, what's it's called? Into uh, the Woods. Into the Woods. So he has some Disney clout. And David Diggs is Cloppin'. Like, there's no Billy there's Magnus- no doubt. Ma- Magna- How do you say his name? Magnuson. Magnuson. Is it not Magnuson? 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 Billy, Billy, Willow, Billy name? whatever not, his name the, is, the, is also going to be in um, Aladdin as well, as the one white dude. Oh, I forgot about that. That's yeah. right. So, yeah, he is sort of, like, inserting himself into Disney. He'd be a good Phoebus. He would be. He would be. 
Although I don't you know, know if you can grow a goatee. I'm you sure you could, yeah. Don't 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 judge a man's facial hair before it comes in. <laughs> um so yeah, HT, I think, you know, I think these thoughts you're having about like being neutered and not like doing kind of anything like interesting with them or taking risks is kind of like one of my things, especially with Hunchback. So Hunchback, as we all know from like the animated movie, it's this like dark tale and it has some of the best Disney music mm-hmm. in Disney canon. Um, and they also turned it into a stage musical, um, which is sort of a combo of the book and the movie. It's a Disney musical, but they changed the ending. It's darker. They added new songs. Um, and this and- musical was co-written by Alan Menken and... Um- Schwartz, Stephen Schwartz. Stephen Schwartz, yeah. Uh, but it never made it to Broadway. It was only no. uh, exclusively in Europe? As far no, as it was here. Oh, it was here too. Okay. I, I've, I've seen it, and it is brilliant. Um, I love it. I think it's Stephen Schwartz's best musical work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my thing is, so they hired David Henry Huang, who's the uh, playwright behind M. Butterfly, to pen the script for Hunchback. That really excites me. Not only because he's a brilliant writer and Butterfly is just a gorgeous play, but because we have a person of color penning the script and we have someone who is involved in the theater world. And I think this is um, an opportunity Disney is missing out on. Mm. A lot of people said the Beauty and the Beast movie, which I have liked less and less as time has gone on, would have been better had they adapted the stage musical instead of the animated movie. See, that's something I actually would have been on board with. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel the same way about this Hunchback movie. Now I'm now they are pulling from the book, and I'm assuming that Stephen Schwartz and Menken are going to be writing new music because it's going to be have to be longer than the 90-minute animated film. Plus, you got to so get like, that Oscar nomination. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. So I'm like, okay, so they could do be doing new things. Here's the thing. Theater is very inaccessible as an art form. A lot of people don't have the opportunity to go, t- to go see shows because they're either not near New York or LA or they don't travel to their towns. It's expensive. And I've been thinking about this and I'm like, this would be such a really good way for Disney to a bring their theater work to larger audiences, which people want. They want to see musicals that they're not able to. And it would also be a way for them to do something different than just taking their animated movies and doing kind of a half-assed job like uh, Bill Condon Mm -hmm. Um, and so I'm like if Hunchback does that if they take from the book I know they said they're not taking from the musical but the musical takes from the book so I'm like maybe sort of and they have a playwright as their screenwriter I'm like if if they chose this route if they chose a more theater-esque route it could be something actually interesting Mm -hmm. and that's I I want to have hope, but we'll see. But I think that's my thing is like Disney has things to draw from and like chances to do more interesting things with these movies and they're not. And I'm hope I'm wondering if like by hiring David Henry Huang and stuff, it could be something different. Yes. I want to have, I want to have the same optimism as you, Anya. (laughs) But um, going back to uh, Beauty and the Beast, that is kind of the movie, I don't want to say that broke me, but... No, you can say that. Yeah. It kind of, it was the turning point into me turning into quite a cynic in terms of like how Disney has been approaching their properties and their IPs. 
Um, Beauty and the Beast, the animated film, was one of my favorite films of all time. I think it's a masterpiece. I think that it's this lovely, gorgeous, gothic romance fairy tale that doesn't treat treat its audiences like they're dumb. I think that the live-action film does, which is my main problem with it and, like, the fact that they try to overexplain all the magical enchanting elements, the fact that they go into like these really pedantic um, subplots and you know insert have like self insert modern day feminism into Belle's character that really don't have any um, actual cons- results afterwards. Like we don't. She see was her- already a feminist in the animated she film, was. so you didn't need to like shoehorn. And I also I just I and like despite like these shoehorned elements, I felt like she was less interesting and compelling than the animated version like she was just so placid and um so i i did not like the beauty and the beast uh live action film much less because like they basically did shot for shot half of the film of the original um, animated movie and i was like what is the point if you're just gonna do the same movie but with like random self inserts that end up talking down to your audience so (laughs) following that um in the years recent, in like the years since then, uh, we've seen Disney revive other properties um, that have you know that big nostalgic um, aura to them. We've seen with Winnie the Pooh, we've seen with Mary Poppins, and they have they always kind of follow the same route in ta- in terms of just like trying to achieve that balancing act of both um, bringing it into a new era while. Um, appealing to those elements that people loved in the first place and yet I feel like that latter part the appealing to those nostalgic elements is kind of becoming an overwhelming driving and marketing factor to what makes these movies so successful and Disney is ending up leaning on that with all of their projects we see we see like Beauty and the Beast was like their most successful movie of all time it made billions at the box office and they see that's what brought people to the theaters and that's why they keep you know, doubling down on that on all of their projects. I actually, I liked Christopher Robin. I liked it for what it was trying to do differently rather than like appeal to like that nostalgia. But I feel like, I haven't seen Mary Poppins yet, but I feel like with Mary Poppins, it was kind of the case where it was like, oh, here's like the nostalgia. And like, I don't want to like hate on that because I haven't seen it yet. But like other projects too, we've seen, um, I don't know what what is going on with Aladdin. It seems like just a huge mess. Um, and then with uh, the Lion King trailer, which, you know, was nice and well done, but I felt like it was also a shot for shot of all the iconography that we are familiar with. I have not seen anything of it yet, so I'm still, like, cautiously optimistic. Um, I am more um, forgiving when Disney lets its directors try to do something different with um a property that we're familiar with. So you're saying that Guy Ritchie directing Aladdin is not different enough for you? <laughs> Imagine if they like actually uh, hired like people from like the Middle East and stuff to like tell the story of Aladdin in their voice and imagine how cool that would be. But instead they have Guy Ritchie. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, and that, that's almost that's almost one of my biggest problems with, and I think why I'm I have more optimism about Unchback since announcing the screenwriter is because I think a lot of these remakes have, for me, have rested on the people making them mm. and 
their talent and their storytelling and what they bring to the table. So, like, for me, Beauty and the Beast, I think it's the weakest component with Bill Condon. He's a, not a good director. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasted his cast. He wasted the chance to do something interesting with the movie. Mary Poppins is Mary Poppins Returns is definitely a nostalgia grab um, and it's oh, yeah. very similar to the first one. I think I liked it. it I have, yeah. And I think I liked it maybe more than others because I really love Rob Marshall, the director. Mm. Like, he, to me, is a musical director. And so Mary Poppins Return felt like a musical to me. And I think his direction is beautiful. And I feel that way about, like, Kenneth Branagh's Cinderella. Mm. It's gorgeous storytelling. And I think that way about, I forget who directed Pete Dragon. Um, Willoughby? Oh, I don't know. I haven't seen it. (sighs) You're supposed to... You're my guy for, like, Random I know trivia. everyone. Like, um, oh, I God. can tell you that John Favreau directed The Jungle Book, and that probably left that that uh, billion dollars told Disney, oh, we could do The Lion King now. David Lowery directed Pete's Dragon. Yes. Which um, I, I always am surprised about, because David Lowery is an extremely great director. And I still haven't seen Pete's Dragon yet. I need to watch Apparently, it. Apparently the movie is extremely good. Yeah, I've yeah, heard things Dragon is beautiful and it is nothing like it's uh like 70s counterpart and so i think for me a lot of this stems from like who who they hire to do the storytelling for these for these remakes and mm. how much they let them like be creative mm-hmm. um do you think it's a symptom of disney o- over controlling their studios or, or like their productions sort of like but it's interesting because like if they were over-controlling, we wouldn't have a movie like Maleficent. Or we wouldn't have a which, movie like uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. So, like, that's my concern. Yeah. That's my concern is, like, I've seen them let directors and writers do interesting things. And maybe the movies didn't succeed. Like, Maleficent definitely didn't su- succeed critically. Although I think it's brilliant. But it's also it's one getting of the first a times they did it. It's getting a sequel because it made money, but yeah. like it has like a thirty or forty percent, I think, on like Rotten Tomatoes. But I, I actually, think it's brilliant. yeah, I actually quite like Maleficent. It doesn't completely work in its last act, but no. I really applaud its ambition and what it tries to do. I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah and so I'm like the majority of film critics are dudes, so that's probably why. That's that's why it didn't do well critically. Yeah, yeah and like uh, I also just want another shout out to Maleficent. I really like the the rape metaphor that it had with the, her yes. her wings being torn off. I thought that was so powerful oh and God. I feel like it wasn't um, focused on enough during the coverage of it. That scene where she wakes up and realizes her wings are gone mm-hmm. and she like has that agonizing scream is still one of those like cinematic moments that is like burned into my memory. Mm-hmm. And I look at things like that or like The Last Jedi or like Pete's Dragon um, and I'm like, Disney, I, I've seen you let storytellers like, do creative things and succeed in making, you know, interesting movies that maybe take familiar stories, but do something new with them. You know, even arguably Cinderella for me, while it's still very much the same story, like Kenneth Branagh did bring a lot of like new humanity and like new depth to the idea of like a woman who was in an abused home and mm. those elements and I'm just like, why aren't you doing that anymore? Maybe it's because the audience's it's fault. Safer. Maybe it's our fault, guys. Because we're <gasps> the ones who aren't supporting um, 
more radical, more risk-taking movies like Pete's Dragon. I haven't even seen it, which is goes to show how much I'm doing that. Whereas and it didn't do well, is, even though it's such a good movie. Exactly. Whereas everyone is turning think, up to see Beauty and the Beast. I think that's why, is that Pete's Dragon is a a property from the 70s mm-hmm. not the yeah. 90s so our generation probably saw it on vhs once or twice as a kid i think i have or maybe oh I'm, God, i watched what? that movie so much you know what kid. i'm getting I... confused with puff the magic dragon so <laughs> i loved peach dragon as a, like that movie is bonkers and makes no sense and it's so weird, but I loved it as a I, child. I have to admit, I've never seen the original either. I just know that there's like kidnapping and like child abuse, but it's all very fun and magical. It's very weird. And there's like a, there's like a a doctor who's like a quack, <laughs> and he doesn't know how to pronounce the town's name. And <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> there's like I think it's it's not a well known property such as Beauty and the mm-hmm. Beast. I mean, it's well known, but it's not like the juggernaut that Beauty and the Beast or the Lion King or Aladdin or any of these 90s movies that were so successful creatively in Disney's uh, mind and uh, box office mind. So like they're, they're just going back to the well from 20 years ago instead of, because they saw what happens when you go back to the, to a well 40 years old, which doesn't, didn't do well so well. Mm. So I think what they've, what they're going to do, I mean, they're going to, they're going to, Here's here's the blessing. They're going to run out of movies to remake. Because they're almost, like, once they get to Hercules, they're going to be done. There's really no, and maybe Tarzan. <laughs> I love Tarzan. See, so what, what I wonder is, you know, now that Disney is launching its own streaming service that will have original movies and TV show titles, will we start to see more variety amongst, like, the kinds of remakes we're getting? Because, you know, The Lady and the Tramp, um, remake is going to be destined for Disney Plus, the Disney streaming service. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't know either of those things. Yes. Yeah, and Tessa Thompson. Hell yeah, I'm pumped for Lady and the yeah. Tramp. But I also just and love did, Disney Dogs. This is the first time hearing about Lady and the Tramp being A, remade, and B, going directly to their streaming service. Yeah, and Tessa Thompson's in it. She's playing Lady. I'm so excited. Who's playing the Tramp? I'm not sure. I'm actually they have they have a good cast for yeah. let me look it up real quick. Um, but, I'm um, actually really excited. While you now, when up, are they going to do I, Oliver and Company the remake? Yeah, but while you look that up, I wonder if you know we're going to be getting the big nostalgia cash grabs in theaters while we're getting the lesser known IPs on the streaming service. And does that mean we'll get more interesting and risk taking takes, or will they just be like low budget endeavors that don't We'll go just like we'll be like straight to DVD kind of thing, like straight to video, and is that like a big yeah. loss? I feel like that would be a big loss, and but I feel like that's yeah, where we're headed. They, what if they remade the Aladdin sequels, but they did a direct to Disney Plus, like they did with the D, with the hey, video? Hey, as long as as long the hot dad as I get Aladdin's hot dad, I'll be fine. And the Return of Jafar, but he turns into jazz. We don't talk about the return of the far, Jafar. We only talk about the third one because we get a lot in time. I rewatched the third one quite a bit and I think I didn't know why, but I think it was because of the hot dad. Oh my god, it absolutely was because of the hot dad. I was like, why do I love this movie so much? Oh, that's why. <laughs> yeah. Side note, Lady in the Tramp cast. Um Justin Thoreau is playing Tramp, but we also have Oh that's Janelle- good casting. It's good casting. We also have Janelle Monet, Kiersey Clemens, Benedict Wong, Yvette Nicole Brown, Ashley Jensen I'm like, I don't remember like... this many people being in the movie. Oh, there are a yeah, lot of well, dogs. 
Yeah, because you have, you have Lady and you have so, her two friends, and then you have everyone at the pound. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. Um, it's a good movie. It's I mean, a great it's, movie, it's no, yeah. it's no 101 Dalmatians. That is Disney's best dog movie. I mean, but... didn't you write a whole defense about Roger in, in 101 Dalmatians? Or not a whole... I've, I, I've not written, like, a defense or anything, but, like, Roger can get it. Yeah. I feel like I've seen he you write something about it. him. About how oh. he's, like, the hottest Disney prince or something. Oh, oh, he is. He is, like, the hottest Disney man. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, so we have things like Lady and the Tramp coming out with, like, a really interesting cast. Um, and I think this is kind of the issue is, so my girlfriend and I recently got into a heated discussion about Disney. Because she is completely unforgiving of the live action remakes. Um, and I am a bit defensive of them because individually, I think that some of them have merit, like creative merits, mm-hmm. like maybe not as like a whole system, but like, I feel like if you look at the individual films, like we discussed with Maleficent, you know, and Pete's Dragon, like they have some creative merits to mm-hmm. them. Um, and I've recently give, given her side of things a lot of thought, and I think she is correct in that when you take them as a whole as a part of the company and as a symptom of kind of Disney's path, they are representative of what we've been talking about of the fact that Disney haven't been taking risks. And the thing is, is like, if they, if they don't take risks on the live action remakes, like that's, that's fine, but they're making a lot of money, which gives Disney a huge cushion to take risks because Hollywood is a business and you have to think about profits and, if something fails, but Disney doesn't really have no reason not like they have no reason not to take risks. They to borrow a term so from uh, from pol- from politics, they're too big to fail. Yeah, that's never been a problem. <laughs> and like, look at the movies they have coming out this year. Like, yeah, you can argue that their Marvel and Star Wars movies are the only like original like new stories, but they're still sequels. They're still you know, part of IPs and stuff. But everything else, the Pixar movie we have coming out this year is a sequel. The Disney animated movie we have coming out this year is a sequel. The live action stuff are remakes. And they have nothing original. It, like, no original. Yeah, and I think that that's upsets the thing me. Is and I think it, it, it especially hurts in their animated front, on their mm-hmm. animated front. Yeah, because it feels that like forever is... since we got something like Moana. Yeah, it was only two years, though. Mm-hmm. And like I know, I, so I I know they're capable of it because we we have Moana, you know, somewhat recently, and I know Pixar's still capable of it because Coco is one of their best films of all time. Mm-hmm. But last year we only had Incredibles two, which is great, but like still a sequel. And this year we have Toy Story four, which I am looking forward to because I am a Woody stan and I don't care what anyone says and Woody forever. Yeah. It, it just but, it, it troubles me that Pixar is kind of going the same route as Disney and just like doubling down on their sequels because Pixar until now was known for like making only original films and they rarely did sequels. Uh, Toy Story was like the exception versus all their other films. And now it seems like they're only doing sequels, which is like a little disappointing. Can't wait for a Bugs Life 2. I am looking forward to Pixar's new, um, new uh, original film that's coming out Mm -hmm. Um, because I saw the director came and spoke about it at D23, the last D23, and we saw some, like, concept art, and it sounds really interesting. Um, it's called Onward. It comes out in 2020. 
Um, and, you know, it, it's sort of a magical realism Ooh. Um, story. Um, I'm slightly disappointed that Chris Pratt's in it, but whatever. Um, so far, the cast we have is Chris Pratt, Tom Holland, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer. Um, it's set in, like, a, what they call a suburban fantasy world, which is basically where, like, humans don't exist, but instead it's elves and trolls and fairies and things, but they exist in our idea of, like, suburbia, so they live in, like, regular houses, and they have, like, vans, and, you know, like, 7-Eleven type things, um, and in the synopsis it says, unicorns are as common as rodents. Um, I love it. And the well, story that's a is... problem. They're pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> And the story is two teenage elf brothers embark on a quest to discover if there is still magic in the world um, to spend a day with their father who died when they were too young to remember him. Um, and I remember at D23, the director was speaking about because like his father, it based on him and his brother because their father died when they were very young. Um, and so it's a very personal story. But again, so I'm excited for it because the concert art is gorgeous and magical realism is a really fun like genre to play in. Mm-hmm. But this is you know, the only original film on their slate and it's the first one since Coco came out. And I get that animated films take a lot longer to make than live action films, but come on, like, come on, Disney. Like, this is what you're known for. This is, Mm -hmm. this is why we all fell in love with you in the first place. And where is it now? It feels like at the beginning. Yeah. (laughs) It feels like, you know, when we were growing up with Disney, they had this particular um, talent for making us feel like magic, you know, existed. It was always like this childhood awe and like this awestruck um, feeling at whatever they managed to give us. And now it feels like they're trying to recapture that magic, but it's like a paler imitation of such. Um, whereas they should be trying for new, for new tricks. It's sort of like, you know in Harry Potter, when you take someone out from the Resurrection Stone, and they're just not quite still alive anymore, Mm. and they're like a ghost, but they're also alive, and they're just, they're like, not human, but they look human, and then they go away. That's what these Disney remakes are starting to feel like. Yeah. Just reanimated corpses of old 90s property. Which is what? I'm I'm still very excited for the Lion King. Like I want that to be amazing. Yeah, I think it, no. because I think because you know the Broadway play is such a smash hit that like we've seen these adaptations work in real life before. Like I haven't I haven't seen Beauty and the Beast or Hunchback of Notre Dame on Broadway, but I do know that they are fantastic. So like it's uh, not see, a problem that they redo these things it's how yeah. they redo these things i don't have yeah i don't have a problem with remakes um when you talk about the lion king broadway stage uh broadway musical i was thinking wow i would have loved to see that in a feature film um because it's just so different and so radical um but yeah i i just i feel the same way about remakes i wish that they would do something a little different um which is an interesting too because you know i even with audiences don't want that which is makes me sad we need to be better as an audience we do we do and like this is the thing is that like you know i i think lion king is gonna mostly be a shot for shot remake and i'm gonna understand that as a criticism i am definitely i will admit that my shallow reasons for being excited for this film are that it's a brilliant animated film so if it is just a shot for shot if it's done as well as jungle book 
it'll be good. But also I'm like, this cast is amazing. So I'm like shallow enough to admit that I'm like excited to have to, for the cast alone and for Beyonce working with Elton John. Um, but I think this is the issue is like, like you said, HT, like remakes and sequels aren't inherently a problem, but they have to contribute something new to kind of like justify themselves. Like yes. I would argue Jungle Book, even as almost a shot for shot remake, although it did bring some story elements of like colonialism into it. I would argue that it's like tech are, you know, somewhat of a reason to like be, to, to have enjoyed that film. Mm-hmm. Um, Frozen 2. I don't know if it'll happen, but like they cast Evan Rachel Wood and she better be playing Elsa's girlfriend because you cast a queer actress and we all want Elsa to get a girlfriend. And I'm like, if they were to do that, like, I'd be like, cool, yes, like, they're taking their stories and bringing them forward. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw The Last Jedi as a sequel and what it could achieve with its storytelling. So it's like you said, there's nothing inherently wrong with making them. They should just be doing something new. And at the very least, if they're not doing something new, the money they rake in should be funding projects that do something new. Mm-hmm. I now, the real that. question is... Where is Disney doing anything new? Um, I will well, say, they though... Olaf's Frozen Adventure was new. <laughs> that was the worst thing I've ever seen. Especially and when they was, put it that was all, smack that was dab in front minutes. of Coco. And it was just... It went on forever. Yeah, it was pr- pretty... Like, they didn't have to do Frozen 2. They could have just done Olaf, <laughs> Olaf's Big Adventure... Uh, looking for... I don't even remember what he was trying to find. Was he trying to find the spirit of Christmas? He was trying to find Christmas. Yeah, Christmas Christmas traditions. Christmas traditions. Oh my gosh. I forgot that was the premise. And it was like 20 minutes long. All the kids in my audience were like, when is this ending? Should have been on ABC on December 24th, and that's it. It should not have been in front of Coco. That was the problem. What they should have done is their traditional like five-minute short wordless great visuals and gonna make me cry and then show me a movie instead they were like why don't we show you an episode of television (laughs) well that's it disney disney and pixar like their most original stuff other than a few things like coco and moana and stuff their most original work has been in their shorts Mm-hmm. I mean, they, those are stepping stones for greater things for these directors and but like, animators. But the problem yeah. is, like, they don't end up doing originals. They, they're like, oh, you have a great vision. Do you want to do a sequel? Do you want to do a Bugs Life 27? <laughs> well, I wait, will wait say, a though. Bug, a Bugs um, Life is not that popular. That Pixar... They might get to 13. <laughs> I will say, though, that Pixar has apparently started a new program called, um, I think, Pixar Sparks, in which they... Uh, feature new diverse new new diverse voices and talents to do Pixar shorts. So it's their way of like opening up the fields for those shorts, which are like their most experimental form of storytelling. So that's the only problem with that is that we could, because we only get one or two Pixar movies a year, it's going to be like five ever before we see anything feature length from these people. Which is, yeah. a, which is unfortunate. Like we're, The problem is, we're talking about all these issues with Disney, but they've got their movies slated until 2025. Yeah. So, like, we're going to... Ha- it's like, there's... I don't want to say we're beating a dead horse here, because I think we're bringing up very inter- very good points, and I'm like, these are things that we need to talk about, but Disney's such a massive company with all these decisions that the only thing that they can do is, like, surprise us in between these large um, tentpole films. Like... If, you know, who knows? 
Dumbo might be Tim Burton's greatest work ever. I doubt it. But like, we don't. I you know, it's possible that. But it's also possible that they could be like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna you know, push the release date back for for you know, uh, Monsters Inc. Three for this n- nice little movie that because like, if you think about it, uh, Spider Man was never going to be a thing until they announced a deal with Sony. And then they push back all their movies to incorporate Spider-Man into for his own movie. So it's pos- and they you know they push back Thor and Black Panther and like they reworked their schedules most more times. They pushed up Incredibles two a year. Yeah. Um. So like they could do that where they're like, hey, we have this great idea for a movie that we didn't have five years ago when we made this slate, but we're gonna we're gonna alter the schedule now. So it's, there is a possibility that things can change, but it they are locked into so many of these movies already that it is sort of like we're talking about something that's, you know, the on we're, we're talking about thunder, you know, they're like, Oh, there's thunder, but is there going to be lightning? Yeah. there's gonna be lightning. And they'll definitely be listening to a random podcast by three millennials who uh, oh, start yeah, complaining yeah, about yeah, Disney. Let's be real here. But I do want to say, yeah, you know um, what? Oh, go ahead. Uh, thanks. Uh, if uh, it's a turn around from like my cynicism from before, I am actually excited for the live-action Mulan directed by Nikki Caro, um, which does trouble me in terms of like how the audience has, has reacted to it. Like the images we've seen of Mulan have her with long hair, for example. And I've heard some people rumbling saying, like, why doesn't she cut her hair? That was like an iconic part of the, um, of the animated film. It is a film. singular image. Yeah, and but <laughs> the thing is, like to focus on and like obsess over like one iconic image from the anime film i feel like takes away from any sort of creative um risks that this live action film can take like they're doing something different and also the cutting the hair thing was a very western like americanized thing like that's not what even men in like ancient china would have long hair so it felt something it felt like something that wasn't really you know, relevant to the actual story. It was just something that was like very 90s rah-rah feminism kind of thing. So um, I think that I am still excited for this because I, I really like Nikki Caro who directed, um, oh, that uh, Whale Rider. She was, she's an excellent yes. director. Whale Rider is so good. Um, and I want to see like her vision of Mulan. So I hope that'll be something different and something, you know, out of the box from what we've seen because she's a very like, I think out of the box choice for uh, this kind of film too. So we'll see. Hopefully, maybe we have some hope even for the films that are slated through like the next decade of our lives. Guys, do you think that this entire thing has been a backlash to Tomorrowland? That maybe. they were like, can we they not put bring so up much... that movie? But I think it's worth bringing up in this point where can we, like no, in... can we not can we can we not that movie like that movie no I'm still so hurt by that movie and the fact that Brad Bird's vision never came to life and that it was it could have been brilliant and wonderful and perfect and I uh, I don't want to talk about it it hurts me too much and now so. they're just it's doing remakes so and sequels that's I, that's, that's no I mean, no Tron three would have happened if it not if not for Tomorrowland can we not did we want a Tron three though I do. No. <laughs> all right okay. both of you i'm i'm tron 3 i'm forever i just rewatched legacy and it's very good i don't care what anyone okay. else says very um, good movie i'm gonna uh, i'm gonna wrap up my thoughts by just saying that a i hope spider-verse pushes every animated studio in hollywood to start doing new diverse things that 
that you made me you guys made me think of that i hope spider-verse is like making every animated studio think yes. about what they're making um and um you know i'm i'm probably always going to be a little different in ht in this is that and that for some reason it probably gets me burned more more times than ht but for some reason i cannot help but have hope for like every project until i see it and until it burns me um, I wish I could protect myself a little more, but for some reason I can't. Good luck with um, Aladdin in particular. <laughs> okay, 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 not Aladdin. Okay, not Aladdin. Um, but uh, but like the Lion King. The Lion King. Um, and also Hunchback with the team, with the storytelling team they've assembled. I cannot help but have hope now because I'm like, oh, you cast the guy who wrote M. Butterfly. Like, this is going to be great. And now I'm, now my hopes are up. Um, and so that, that's how Disney gets me is, uh, they just give my hopes up and then they burn me. Um, I am literally Babette in Beauty and the Beast. (laughs) I've been burned by them before and I will continue to be burned by them because I, for some reason, cannot give up. Um, and I hope that Hunchback can be one of the more, their more creative endeavors. I would hope so. I hope so. And that's my, that's my thoughts. All right. So yeah, um, Disney isn't ruining our childhood, but maybe they are s- uh, making our futures stale. I think that's a good way to wrap up our discussion about Disney remakes. Yeah, Disney, just and like Disney future. direction. Yeah, Disney. Yeah, because yeah, this, this is our plea to Disney. Bob Be Iger, better. if you're listening. Bob Iger, please. all right before we wrap up and uh head to the last segment of our episode we have one more word from our sponsors the millennial falcon is brought to you by the commodification of our childhoods it's a bit of a problem all right let's move on to the last segment of our episode i really 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 like you but i need to tell you something okay um, Willoughby, why don't you start us off this week? What do you really like? So, do you guys remember this old movie called Transformers, by, directed by this guy named uh, Mike Bay? Mm. Good old Mike Bay. Yeah, so I like that movie for all its problems. It still pretty holds up as like a, a movie. Um, the other 40 in that in that uh that movie series are bullshit but there's one movie that isn't directed by mike bay and that is bumblebee i saw bumblebee in the theaters this weekend because it's been a month and i was i forgot to see it when it came out because i was so excited for spider-verse that i was like nothing else matters um so i saw bumblebee and guess what guys bumblebee real good bumblebee good you want to see it bumblebee Bumblebee is good i think you'll like it a lot anya Bumblebee is a robot. I super want to see it. He's yeah. a he, he's a cute little robot, and it's uh in instead of a boy and his dog movie, it's a girl and her transformer, and it's very very good. Haley Steinfeld is incredible. She gives like this one monologue performance about her relationship with her father, and it is heartbreaking. And you just want to like give her a hug, and thankfully that's what the car there is for. Um. So Bumblebee is pretty much a prequel. It takes place 20 years before the Mike Bay movies. Um, And it's pretty much, it's actually, I'm very astonished by the amount of continuity between the two movies. They like have characters, they have 
government organizations. They have like the plots are like, you know, like they, the, the writers of, I can't remember the writers, but they did their due diligence of like making sure that it's connected to the Transformers movies that we know and hate. Um, but it's good. It's a good movie. The, there's 15,000 80s needle drops, but they never feel uh, like uh, overwhelming because it's like, oh, it's he's a car. He has a radio. He's going to he's there's going to be songs. Um, and there's some good jokes with VHS um, and uh, like, uh, no. Yeah. V, uh, v, like VHS and then cassette. That's the word mm-hmm. cassette. Um so it's all very fun and good, and um, the action is really solid. Like you can you can see what's happening. The camera is just far enough so that you're like, oh, these are transformers and not yeah. humans looking at transformers. I think it really helps that Travis Knight, who was the director of Kubo, Kubo and the Two Strings, comes from animation because he knows how to block and direct action. That you where eye line goes is where the action is, and it feels almost like. Like the the battle scenes, even though they're like my least favorite part of the movie, still feel like um they are like you a kid putting together like his action figures. It feels so like wholesome and fun. Yeah, like the 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 great part is like because this is like a prequel and there's only one Transformer. Like the action scenes are pretty low key, and it's not like a war between all the Autobots and the Decepticons. This is the preview before that. So like there's only a couple Decepticons and Bumblebee and and him and and like the way they they try to incorporate Bumblebee looking at Haley Steinfeld is that he like crouches down. And so he looks real cute when he's all crouched and hunched he over. He's so cute. Uh, I love Bumblebee. There's, there's like moments when he has to hide and she's like, you have to transform into the car. But what he does is he just hunt, he just puts a rock over his face. But the rock is like the size of his head. So it's very cute. Um, and he's just like a child um, because like spoiler alert, like he lost his memory. So he doesn't really know who he is. Um, but it's just so very, very fun. Uh, and John Cena is in it. Uh, and I just couldn't help but think that every time he showed up on the scene, the meme, the John Cena meme, would always be like it blasting through my head. Have um, you seen um, Blockers, Willoughby? No, I have not. John Cena is to. surprisingly good in that movie. I've heard he's like the standout of he that is. movie. I mean, the whole movie like is a surprise because it's actually not, you know, the raunchy um right. parents stopping their kids from having sex movie that you expect. It's actually a heartwarming like coming of age film. That's what I've heard, and yeah, it's but it's also I I've also heard it. it's very still very funny, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I want to watch that. But yeah, Bumblebee Bumblebee rules. That's the uh, it's definitely like even if you hate the Transformers movies with a passion and you think that they're just like dog shit, which I think most of them are, you can watch Bumblebee and know that it's good. Like you can watch it and be like, I like this a lot. It's really good. And the um, the dude from Broad City who plays. Abby's would-be love interest plays uh, Haley Steinfeld's stepdad, it's, and he's such a good oh, that's bad him? stepdad. Yes. Oh. He's very good at being a dorky stepdad. Um, yeah, that's my thoughts on Bumblebee the movie. All right. Well, um, I'll go next, because uh, Anya and I kind of share some really likes this week. So my really like this week is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Which is a show I finally caught up on. I was behind for all of season four, which is the final season of the CW series created by uh, Rachel Bloom and um, Alina, Mc- Mc- Alina McKenna, I think. Well, created by Alina Rachel Brosh McKenna. Yeah, 
Um, but Rachel Bloom uh, stars in it as Rebecca Bunch. And um, I am absolutely loving this season, even with the recast, which I was a little bit skeptical about, um, of uh, Greg as um, Skylar Aston. I am all on board with this recast. I have been listening to the duet between Greg and Rebecca a billion times. And I'm just really happy with how this show is um, portraying and depict- and dealing with mental illness and uh, recovery and well not recovery even it's just like you know dealing with those issues and living with them um, in a way that almost feels like watching therapy on your tv screen it's really well done and I am just loving it so much this season and I can't wait to see more Greg and Rebecca my OTP (laughs) they are a good ship and I agree their their handling of um of mental health is really excellent it's really nuanced and great yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. But I'm sad it's the final season. I know. But it feels like a good ending point. Like at the It does. Point like where, so far, yeah. Yeah, where Becca's kind of like finally in a healthy place. And it's so nice to see her starting a relationship in a healthy place too. And like knowing what her problems are and trying to figure out, you know, how not to spiral and everything. And yet dealing with it still because that's what, you know, mental illness is. You're just kind of constantly dealing with that. But mm-hmm. I'm I'm exactly. really happy with the show, and I'm sad that it's going to be gone soon. But I'm blessed that we were blessed to have it while it was here. You're blessed to have it, you know. Be happy that we had it at all. Mm-hmm. I completely agree with you, HD. Yeah, I also like. I saw another thing that I really liked this this week, but um, I'm going to throw it over to Anya because she also really liked it as well. Yeah, and I also saw it. So uh, what both of us really loved is Barry Jenkins' follow up to his Oscar winning feature Moonlight, and uh, that movie is If Beale Street Could Talk, based on the James Baldwin novel. Um, I just thought this was a gorgeous film. It, like, washed over me in this in this all-encompassing way where I felt, you know, truly swept up by what was happening. Um, and I think what I really love about it is that... Um, There's been a lot of, like, I haven't read the original James Baldwin novel, um, but I've read a lot of, like, interesting discourse about how the novel is a lot more plot-heavy. It puts kind of the problems um, of, you know, criminal injustice um, and and racism kind of more up front than the movie does. Um, But I actually, at least from my perspective, having just seen the movie, I appreciated what Barry Jenkins did. It reminded me, um, you know, as a queer woman watching queer films that don't forget that queer people, you know, face discrimination and face struggles that other communities don't, but that we are not made up entirely of our tragedy and our Mm -hmm. pain, Mm -hmm. that more exists to us than that. And so, you know, I don't always need to watch a movie like Beale Street and be reminded that... Uh, our criminal justice system unfairly targets and discriminates black men. You know, I I know that. And I don't need to constantly be reminded of, you know, that pain. I could also realize that there is pain, but there is also love and there's happiness and there's strength. And so I actually loved that he put the kind of the romance at the forefront, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, because it it added that humanity... um, to that pain that I already knew was there, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and it just made me think of like, I want more queer stories told 
in this way. You know, it's like why I love Moonlight because Moonlight, you know, they never take away from the pain that like um, it's felt in the movie, but it also says like we are also capable of love and having these happy moments. Um, and so I just really love Beale Street. It mm. it really hit me. And I think it's a beautiful film. It's maybe one of the most beautiful films, beautifully directed films I've seen in years. I've been mean, probably since Moonlight. And yeah. a lot of it has to do with just like the color and the warmth mm-hmm. and like the the way that smoke is depicted. It 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 doesn't surprise me that Barry Jenkins is so heavily influenced by Wong Kar Wai, who is all about those really lush warm colors and I like how the colors too are just like they have such deep meaning to them like Mm -hmm. I think for example in like the scene where um the the two leads are uh walking in the rain and they have they have the red umbrella and it's such a subdued quiet scene and yet you can see like the passion that they have for each other which is um exemplified in the red umbrella and it's just it's such a beautifully shot uh scene and film um, and this movie is so deeply human in all the ways that you spoke about. It just like it, it washes over you in the way in its like beautiful characteris- characterizations and also just like the visuals and the entire like oral experience too. Like the score is gorgeous. It feels as like heavenly as the visuals are as like yes. direction. It's it's so beautiful. Yes, completely agreed. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, on that positive note, uh, we are going to end our episode. But if you guys have any thoughts on the direction of Disney or anything you've been watched recently, like Bumblebee or If Beale Street Could Talk or Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, come chat with us. And where can they do that, Willoughby? You can find us on Facebook if you search for us there. We're also on Twitter at Falcon Podcast. Our blog is millennialfalconpodcast.wordpress.com. You can also listen and rate, review, and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Google Play and iTunes. Where can they find you guys on the internet? You can find me at HTranBui on Twitter. You can find me at Anya Crittenden on Twitter. And you can find me at Willoughby Dobbs on Twitter. All right. Thanks for joining us, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.